Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. Today's episode, I speak with Miles Powell, founder and CEO of Eight Miles, a popular and fast-growing line of gourmet mac and cheese. Miles tells us about his pivot from selling barbecue sauces at farmers markets to actually selling the mac and cheese he was making to showcase his sauces. He talks about the struggle of knowing when to quit your job and the mental anguish it took to make that decision, and then be forced to make it again a couple years later. He also shares with us uh, how he was able to take advantage of the open shelf space made possible through the effects of the COVID pandemic on the supply chain and how he used that to get his product into popular retailers like Target and Whole Foods. I wish I had another hour or two to talk to Miles. He is an inspiring entrepreneur with a lot to share. Enjoy the episode. Yeah. Hey, Miles, how, how are you doing? Thanks for jumping on. For sure. Glad to be here. Hey, um, really, I've been looking forward to, to talking to you. I know that uh, you guys have had some success here in, in the last couple of years, and um, you've got an interesting story. So I think it's going to be awesome for the listeners. We like to kick off the podcast with just a quote, you know, maybe something that's inspiring to you or is motivational to you. Do you have one in mind that you can share? Yeah, and it's actually maybe the quote that actually got me started with the business. And that quote is, um, let me try to say this right. It's not why, why not? So essentially it's, you know, instead of trying to figure out why you shouldn't do it or, you know, think about, you know, what's stopping you from actually doing it. So it's sort of like a, it's a small play on words, but it's meant to encourage decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say it's also, I, I think it, it engages your mind in a different way, right? Rather than just looking at the obstacles, you know, your mind is, is much more creative than you think. And so when you start asking that question, I think uh, you start coming up with some answers. Exactly. Yeah, um, that, that's awesome. That's great. So for those who don't know you and don't know um, your business, do you mind just giving us a little bit of a background? Sure. Name is Miles Powell. I'm the founder and CEO of 8 Miles. We're a uh, manufacturer of gourmet comfort food, uh, currently specializing in premium mac and cheese. Uh, we sell it frozen to retailers across the uh, region. Okay, cool. I have to ask about the name, Eight Miles. Where did that come from? So every time I get that question, you know, folks will say, are you from Detroit? The answer is no. 
I'm from Philly originally, but you know, I so I'm a sucker for any kind of motivational movie. And Eight Miles, the movie actually fits that bill pretty well. And I'm pretty sure when I was thinking of starting a company, I must have just watched the movie and it just felt like it stuck being my name was Miles, you know? And and, and their plan originally was to create eight different types of, at the time, barbecue sauces. Yeah, yeah. I love that movie. The Eminem story, of course, for, for those who haven't, um, you know, maybe haven't watched it. It, it is pretty inspiring um, yeah. to see kind of his journey and his come up and struggle. So, but you're not from Detroit at all. No, I've never been to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what part of Philly are you from? Uh, so it's uh, Delaware County, which is uh, the next county right outside of the airport, essentially. So, uh-huh. yeah, I lived there until essentially I went to college, University of Delaware. Okay, cool. So, you know, you mentioned the barbecue sauces um, business. Was that actually um, something that you launched or was that just an idea? Yeah, I actually launched it. So what happened was after I graduated college, I moved out for my first engineering job. And it was around this time that I really started to experiment in the kitchen. I grew up around family of foodies and everyone cooked. And so I always loved really good soul food, comfort food and, and barbecue, all that good stuff. And so when I was Finally, you know, I'll call it myself a quote unquote adult, my first real time, full time job had, you know, after work, I wanted to kind of channel that passion that I had growing up and started just experimenting with different types of sauces and um, actually created a, you know, a, a barbecue sauce that I thought was amazing. And mm-hmm. I had, I, and I sent it out to friends, the friends loved it. And, you know, at this time, I wasn't 100% satisfied with my job. You know, I was an engineer by trade, but it, I wanted to do something different. And because what, what kind of engineer were you? Uh, civil. So I was working kind of in the in the utility side, doing kind of project management. Mm-hmm. But okay, it, you know, it didn't feed my 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 passion, right? So that's when I decided to I wanted to launch a food company on the side. Yeah, you know, so let's double click on that a little bit. I'm always interested in these points of transition, right? So yeah. you're going down one track, and but you've you know you've got this thing that you're doing on the side a little bit you've got this passion for food and you know you come from a family of foodies you know it, it's not easy to make that kind of choice right you went to school obviously for engineering I'm, I'm assuming and yep. so every everything's taking you down one track but you chose to you hit the brakes and then completely change lanes how did you you know just add a little bit more color to what that decision was like yep. and if it was something that was difficult for you yeah so Throughout college and even before college and high school, right? I mean, I was really motivated to become a successful engineer. And mm-hmm. once I graduated, I was really excited to work, you know, get a paycheck and become a, I'll call it a real human being. <laughs> and, also, <laughs> and I remember my second day of my new job, which, you know, I didn't know anything yet, still trying to get my feet wet. And I came into the office, sat down in my cubicle. It must have been maybe an hour later, about 9 a.m., it just hit me like, I mean, it hit me hard. And I said, man, I have to do this for 40 years. And like, it didn't really <laughs> register. I, I couldn't really fathom it. And I said, there's no way. There's no way I can do this consistently for 40 years straight. And I think that was a spark that told myself, I need to find a way to do something else. And at that point, I, I was, I had already planned to start going to grad school later. I had a strong interest in business. And as I mentioned before, like I always love to cook and especially eat. And I started to say, you know what, maybe I can tie those two together 
and figure out a way to pursue my passion. Now, I was still working as an engineer because I had to pay bills, but I told myself that one day I want to make that strong pivot to being focused on food 100%. Nice. Yeah. You know, I had a similar, you know, I was going down the the, the medical route and taking all my pre-med classes and, you know, I was planning on being a doctor and kind of had the same thing where I looked down that that road and I said, Do I, am I really going to be happy in a right. hospital, you know, in a doctor's office, you know, for the next 40 years of my life? And for me, it was no. And so I, I kind of went with my passion too, which for me is business and like technical stuff like programming, you know, the tech side. So yours was business and like food. Yep. So let's take the story from there. What was your next move? You know, so yeah, how so, did you start going down that route? Yep. So, you know, and this is, so where I was living at the time was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a large social network out there. And so I had mm-hmm. a lot of free time and, you know, I wanted to, and I, I didn't like idle time. I think that came from my, actually my engineering program just always studying, always doing something, right? So when you put me in a situation where it's like, you know, there's dead space, I'll call it. I I wanted to fill it up and I started cooking just to play around in the the kitchen. And I told myself that I wanted to create a recipe book. I wanted to do a cookbook, I'm sorry. Didn't know how to do that. And so I decided, I I think someone I knew had told me you should start a food blog. And this is 2012. So this is before Instagram was the way it is now. And, you know, social media in general. I mean, it was really just Facebook that was running the show. So Uh I started a food blog and just started posting recipes that I created. And over the course of about a year, you know, got a little attention here and there, nothing significant, but it really just kept fueling my passion. And then the, the key point was about a year after doing that, I applied at random to a, a casting call. I think Food Network put out a casting call said, you know, calling all home chefs to this new competition series, you know, apply here. And that quote that I mentioned early on, you know, the why, you know, not why not, that was what encouraged me and a friend of mine who echoed the quote to go ahead and apply. So I applied to this casting call with my blog as kind of the, I guess, proof of concept. Yeah. And uh, they they got back to me and said, hey, we, we this is interesting. We want to interview you. We had the interview. We had a couple of interviews couple of, you know, meet and greets over the phone. And then they said, Hey, we want you on the show. Huh, very cool. Yeah. So no professional training, you know, in terms of being able to cook, did you have a product at the time? Or did you have anything other than the blog? No, just the blog. I, I just started really toying with this barbecue sauce idea. But mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a recipe itself. There was no business at all. And yeah, a guy, you know, I just went, I went on this show. And it's funny because it's a show where they don't tell you anything up front. You know, you're, you're going into the blind. And it turns out that it was a competition series where you're competing with, you know, 20 other chefs. And it, they, casted, they casted me as the underdog, being I was at the time like 22 years old. And I was competing with folks that have been cooking for like 15, 20 years. So needless to say, I didn't do well. The show was called, <laughs> the show was called America's Best Cook. I was not. So <laughs> I, I flamed out pretty quick, but I'll tell you that experience alone was like my, I came home and I remember I got home late, woke up the next day and it felt like a dream. I was like, I can't believe that happened, but I think this food thing is where I belong. Oh, that's cool. 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it like you're competing against other chefs, you know, even just the term chefs, you know, did you consider yourself a chef at the time? Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, sounds good, though. You know, you mentioned that it led you to kind of realize that this is what you wanted to do. What was it about the show or that experience that that led to that result? I, I think even though I didn't do well, I think just being around food. I think, you know, and knowing like that I was presented the opportunity just made me feel that, you know, uh, everything was kind of, was tell, you know, life was telling me that you should pursue food. Mm. The fact that I was even on the show and as nervous as I was, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience and that, that just kind of fueled my passion. And I said, this is the path that I want to take. That's pretty cool. And so did that lead to any sort of external results in terms of, you know, like more traffic to your blog or, you know, any doors open up to you based on your experience on the show? I think, you know, I, you know, I was on TV for a brief second, but, and uh, I think it did help blog traffic, but nothing substantial came out of it. Kind of a, a short burst here and there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but it's funny because right when that happened, I was actually in grad school too. And, and, being in, in business, these business classes and then the food network thing happening, it, it just felt like the world was aligning to say, you need to start your food company. And at that point, I really started to put together the pieces of how I'm going to do that. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, let's take the story from there. Okay, what was the next move? Yeah, so then it was just, it was me and Google, right? Just trying to figure out how to start a company. Because I, you know, I didn't have a network of entrepreneurs. I didn't know anyone doing this. So I was just trying to figure it out. And I, th I think it took me about maybe six to nine months after that food network experience to really understand well, at least what I thought, you know, <laughs> at the time, say, okay, this is how I'm going to start a business. And I came up with the name Eight Miles, and I said, you know, I'm I've got these barbecue sauces. My friends love them. It's got you know, it's unique to the market. I'm gonna I'm gonna launch this thing. So I hired a, a branding person. You know, I you know one of the contractor I found online. We worked together for about three months. Mm -hmm. put together a logo and label, all that good stuff and launched the company. This is a uh, May of 2015. Okay, cool. So it was called eight miles. Like, yep. uh, so eight miles was a name that you had for the, the barbecue online. I'm looking yep. on your website now. Do you, do you still sell barbecue sauce? I don't. So, right. I mean, there's a couple of small stores in uh, the DC area that still carry it, but primarily uh, the sauces are used for internal production. I use our buffalo and our barbecue sauce for our mac and cheese. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's kind of connect the dots. How did you come to mac, mac and cheese? Yeah. So I was doing the sauces for a couple of years. I actually moved to DC. And by the way, I'm still working as an engineer. You know, eight miles is still a side hustle because I'm still, you know, not ready to make that leap yet. I'm still trying to figure things out. I moved to uh -huh. DC, uh, got a new job down here. Two months into the new job, I quit. You know, so you moved for the new job and then two months into it, you quit. So I, I primarily moved for eight miles and personal. Like okay. I mentioned, I was in a kind of a rural area. I wanted to live in a city. I hadn't really done that yet. I was 25, wanted to explore a bit more. And so moved down here, you know, got a job down here. And then, yeah, two months in, I decided this job is really holding me back. It was really stressful. I didn't like who I was working with. And I just, you know, I said, ah. I need to try something drastic. You know, I, I was two and a half years into eight miles and I said, this is the time I'm going to just risk it all. So I quit the job and focused on eight miles full time. Um, still doing barbecue sauces. 
and still didn't know much, right? Like I'm still trying to figure everything out, you know, and thinking back to what I thought I knew them, completely mm-hmm. wrong, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't know any better. And so I was, you know, so when I was doing eight miles full time, I was tending to focus on the wrong areas and quickly realized how expensive living was in DC, ended up picking up about three part-time jobs and slowly growing the business, but nowhere close to what I wanted to see. And it was about maybe a year after that, I, I decided to get another full-time job in engineering. Okay. You know, uh-huh. it sucks because it was, it felt like a step back, but yeah. I mean, I, yep. I, need, I needed the money, right? I had to live. So went back into full-time work and it was around that time where I felt like barbecue sauce wasn't the end-all be-all. I was doing a lot of farmer's markets at the time and, you know, pop-up events. And what I realized was people like barbecue sauce, but if you're doing a farmer's market at 10 in the morning, no one's buying barbecue sauce, but they are buying things that they can eat on the spot. And I was seeing these vendors crush it. Like they were selling hot, ready food. So I started making food to pair with my sauces and people loved it, especially the mac and cheese. And that's when I had that kind of that spark of, oh, I should sell this mac and cheese. It's something I grew up on. People love it. I can incorporate my sauces into it. I want to do that. And so 2018 hits and I decided to pivot and focus on mac and cheese instead of the barbecue sauce. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. You mentioned, you know, this step, you know, what felt like a step back, right? And that you, you have this passion, you want to really get this business off the ground, you know, but it's not quite there and you still need to live. Right. You know, and I wanted to double click on that just because I think a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves in that situation. I actually think that's very common, right? Um, You're trying to make, in in other words, what I actually don't like is when people paint that journey like a straight line. Oh, yeah. And like like, it's like everything is up and to the right. And that's how it, it, it worked out. I think you do a disservice to a lot of other entrepreneurs that are trying to come up and that are coming up behind you. To, to make them think that's how it is, right? Right. I think the, the way you described it is actually much more common, you know? And what was it specifically, do you think, that felt like a step back, you know? And kind of where were you mentally and, you know, emotionally at, the, at that point? I mean, it was really hard. So it was hard on both ends, right? It was hard to quit my job because it was a good paying job, even though I hated it, right? It was still a good paying job. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I don't think I'll ever forget the day I decided to quit. I actually had the I had the conversation with my parents first and they agreed. You know, they said, hey, we'll help, we'll help how we can. I had some savings at the time, but it was July 4th where I was actually watching fireworks with the friends and I was telling them about my decision. And I was still really nervous about it, kind of unsure. And mm-hmm. you know, and they encouraged me to kind of follow my gut. And so I texted my boss that night and I said, Hey, we have to talk in the morning. And that's that's like the universal sign to your supervisor that I'm going to quit. Right. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Uh, and so sending, I, I, I probably stared at that text message for an hour before I sent it. Cause it was like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to send this, but I felt because I would work all day, come home stressed and I couldn't do the things I wanted to, to help grow the business. And I said, well, if I try this and it doesn't work, I can probably get another job. And not that I thought that would happen, but I wanted to see and try. And then unfortunately, you know, after six months, you know, I'm looking at 
my bank account. So I'm like, I have to get a full, I have to get another job. I can't right. survive like this. And so, mm-hmm. and then you're right. I was, I didn't understand how to grow a business. My first one, a lot of entrepreneurs you hear about that are successful. It's not their first attempt at a business. Right. There's so much to learn. And, and it takes a while to learn some of this stuff. And I learned the hard way. And that's why I ended up getting another job because I didn't do it the way I should have done. Well, you obviously did something right because uh, you guys have had a, a lot of success since then. I, I want to d- double click on the decision to start making mac and cheese. Yeah. You know, and so you mentioned that you're at, at these farmers markets and you're, you know, looking around and seeing people crush it with hot and ready food. How long between, you know, like observing that to actually whipping up some mac and cheese and showing up at the next farmer's market with your mac and cheese? I would say a couple of months. It didn't, it didn't take long because, I mean, these farmers markets, people, some people don't understand, they're grueling, especially in the fall when it gets cold during the mornings. When you're out there at six in the morning setting up, mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not closing up till two o'clock in the afternoon, you're home by four. It's a long day and it's a Saturday, right? So you worked all week and then you're doing that. I, I think after, you know, I, I would, I, my first attempt at bringing in like, I used to do chicken wings too and Mac. And I think, seeing the, the difference in sales that I had was a spark of like, okay, this is, this is where it's at. You know? Right. But I didn't, I mean, once again, you know, I was doing that at a farmer's market, which is a lot different than retail. So it was a pretty, it was a hard, it was a learning curve to figuring out how to do a package good. That's not a barbecue sauce. And that's actually when I linked up with an incubator a food accelerator program in DC I told that no, they said, Hey, we're going to help you launch or relaunch or pivot your business to focus on a frozen food as opposed to what you've been doing, which is a barbecue sauce. Okay. And how did you find out about this incubator? They found me actually at an event that I was selling the mac and cheese. You know, I I kind of I packaged it and froze it and sold it, but it was jinky, right? It was like uh, aluminum tin with a little cover on top, just something that I could present. I did my own label. And I think they saw the potential in it and they reached out and said, Hey, we would love for you to join our program. And then I said, well, I could, you know, being that I tried it on my, and I tried to scale the barbecue sauce without any sort of help. And I looked at it and said, well, I could probably use some assistance in an area I know nothing about. So let's do this thing. Yeah. I love on your website. Um, it, it, it says, um, a wise man once told me, you make the best mac and cheese I've ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> you were obviously getting some great feedback and pro- probably primarily at these farmer's markets, right? Yeah. About the mac and cheese. Um, so, you know, it sounds like, okay, in your head, you're still selling barbecue sauce, right? Like you're showing up there and then you're starting to showcase your sauces with chicken wings and mac and cheese. Yep. When, when was it that you decided hey, wait, mac and cheese can actually be the business. 2018, I think at that point, I I really felt like barbecue sauce wasn't doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And the feedback I was getting from the mac and cheese was a lot better. Because at one point, I started selling the mac to a, the same store I was selling the barbecue sauce to, and the mac and cheese moved like four times better. So okay. mm-hmm. I think that's when I decided, okay, this is probably a better product. So it doesn't sound like it was that tough of a decision. I mean, it sounds like you know, the product no. moving and, and sort of getting pulled by the market told you, Hey, yeah. wait a minute, there's, there's something here. Yeah. It was, uh, for me, it was an easy decision. It just, you know, when you know, you know, it just felt better. I said, yeah, this, this direction I want to take it in. And then I looked at 
the landscape. So for instance, with barbecue sauce, that whole section of the grocery store is pretty tightly controlled by a couple of big players. Mm-hmm. With with frozen mac and cheese, it's a I mean, still there's still a high competition, but there's not as much competition. And I'm not, and I'm not even talking about craft. That's the thing too. Like when you talk about the number one mac and cheese maker in the world, craft mac and cheese. And you know, no offense, it's crap, right? It's it, they've been around since the Stone Ages. You know, it's not premium. It's you know, you know what you get, right? Right. And I say, well, if I come with a real mac and cheese, it's gonna blow it out the water. So that's and it just felt like there was more opportunity there. Okay, cool. Were you concerned at all about the fact that it, it was frozen and so you know keeping keeping it good and distribution and stuff? There's a lot of challenges around you know having a, a frozen product as opposed to something that could just sit on the shelf. Were you concerned about that at all? No, I should have been. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that's but you know what though that's been it's all a part of the learning curve, right? There's certain things you don't think about because you don't know you should think about them. I'm kind of just I'm plowing ahead. And as these things come up, I think about them, but it's a lot of it's not pre-planned. I mean, and and not as, and it's not like I'm being stubborn. It's just, I didn't, it's not in my thought process, right? And and plus as a solo entrepreneur, you know, you don't have a team, you're juggling so much. You're going to have so much that falls through the cracks that you're going to kind of be privy to late. And so really the launch of the Mac was based on partly instinct. You know, at this point I've been around for a little bit. So I have some folks that I can talk to about it. And they're helping me out. But a lot of this is just kind of learn as I go. Right. Well, and the truth is, that's how, you know, I think everybody feels like, hey, I'm doing it wrong. Or, you know, oh, other entrepreneurs know so much more than I do. But yeah. the truth is, it's like that this is how everybody does it. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you kind of cross that bridge when you get there. Right. But, yeah. One term that I that I hear, you know, at least I heard somebody say and I think about a lot is, you know, don't be one of those people that waits for all the lights to be green before you leave the house. Right. Absolutely. Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense. And in, in entrepreneurship and in business, you know, you know that there, okay, there's some vague challenge in the future that I'm gonna have to figure out, you know, distribution of a frozen food, right? But yep. it, for right now, I've got to, you know, focus on these most pressing, you know, matters. And then I will I will handle that later, right? Mm-hmm. At least based on my experience and people that I've talked to. You know, that is kind of the way you do it. You know, you weren't doing it wrong. You were doing it, you know? Yeah, I think it was Mark Cuban. I'm sure he borrowed it, but he used to say a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from paralysis by analysis, where <laughs> they're just waiting for everything to line up before they make that move. Sometimes it that takes, and sometimes that'll never happen, which means you'll never make that move. And that's actually why I took that first jump leap of faith, because in my brain initially, it was like, okay, once I get this contract or like this sales agreement or whatever, it'll catapult me to the next level, I'll quit. But the work you have to put in to get there, you might need to quit beforehand. And I think that's the hardest decision that a lot of us have to make where it's like, I'm not there yet. But if I put everything I have into it, hopefully I get there, but it's not a guarantee. Right. Okay, so you had this product. It sounds like you were in a couple, you know, stores. You start selling it to the people that you were initially selling your barbecue sauce to. Yep. Um, you know, talk to us just a little bit about distribution. You know, how how um, you got into other stores, and then you know, I'd love for you to to spend a little bit of time talking about how you got into Target, how that lined up. Sure. So you know, at this point, I'm starting to build my contact list, call it, of people in the industry, right? I don't feel as alone as I did before. I'm working with this incubator program 
And my first goal was to get linked with a distributor because I hadn't had one prior to this. And I was looking for, you know, kind of your mid-level guys that I could, that work with small brands. Cause you know, I said, Hey, if I link up with them, I now have access to a myriad of locations I can sell my product to. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm trying to refine the brand because I didn't really have a strong brand presence, right? Just had a product. And my first distributor was Rainforest. They're a Northeast distributor, pretty you know, nice size, but they love local. Uh-huh. And so I, I had a, presented my product to them and they gave me the green light. And at that point it was like, okay, now I'm off to the races. But, you know, I'm still, I'm still small, still early. You know, I might send them 40 cases of product and then they might activate a couple of accounts here and there, but I'm starting to slowly grow. Um, still not nowhere close to a household name. And, you know, it's funny because at this point, the, the whole cash flow concept looks different. The money that I have to spend is is not more than it ever was. Right. The, money, the money coming in is also growing too, but not at the same rate. And right. so now, so now I'm looking at finance different, right? I, you know, how do I manage this piece? I'm thinking about bringing in some help production walks. Before that, it was just me. And so as the scaling starts to happen, it like opens up this whole, whole another building of like, how do we, how do we continue on this path? Right. And, you know, so what, what did you do? Let's double click on one of those challenges, you know, sort of the cash flow thing. You know, how did you learn what you needed to do or, you know, access the capital that you needed in order to do this? Because you're right. I mean, um, you know, getting these big accounts can be great, but at the same time, you have to be able to pay for that production and you may not receive, you know, any money for a long time you know, from these retailers. So, you know, how did you learn what you needed to learn? Did you, you know, did you hire somebody to help you kind of through this part or, you know, how did that look like? So the first year of this stage of the company, so between 2018 and let's say early 2019, I was still naive to the need for capital investment. I was under the assumption that I'd be cash flow positive in no time. My rate of bootstrapping was increasing. So I was putting more personal capital into it, ended up doing a small crowdfunding campaign mid-2018. Uh, we mm-hmm. brought in, I think it was like $6,000 to pay for some equipment. But like I said, I'm still so small that I'm just thinking, okay, I just need like to land one account, one big account, and then I'll be fine. Right. I, you know, this falls into the whole concept of like learning as you go. Right. And uh so I'm still funneling personal money into the business. But as I add more accounts, I'm looking at like, okay, st- I'm still not comfortable on a cash flow standpoint. And it wasn't until I would say late 2019 that I'll say, quote unquote, things got real. And that was the whole target. That's how Target started. We can go into that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why don't you, yeah, just tell us how that lined up. So Target, and I, I don't consider myself lucky or to be right place, right time. But Target reached out to me directly, actually, in December of 2019. The buyer messaged me on LinkedIn. He had said, hey, we're in the D.C. area. We're doing what we call trend shopping, which is when we go to different markets and look at new products. We came across your guys' mac and cheese. We loved it. You know, we want to talk about potentially uh, working with you guys. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as this is spam. There's no way this is real. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
I, you know, got in contact with him. We talked for a bit. He said, yeah, we love you guys. Let's, let's see if we can work together. And, you know, being that this is 20, December 2019, mm-hmm. we started talking about maybe working together starting in May of 2020. And I'm like, okay. And I'm still working full time, by the way. But I'm like, okay, maybe this will be that thing. Right. Maybe this will be the thing that takes us to the next level. Then 2020 happens. And it, 2020 does what 2020 does. It shuts down everything. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, Target says, hey, sorry, you know, we can't bring you in right now. We're, we've got our hands full. But the interesting part was in May, April of that year, they said they came back and said, well, you know, our distribution channel is all jacked up. You're local. Can you just supply our stores with product? Just help fill space. So I was taking my mac and cheese and going store to store, maybe about mm-hmm. eight, eight local mm-hmm. stores and just putting mac on the shelf. Which was funny because it was such a weird concept. I would just bring in, I would just walk into Target with a case of Mac and look at the manager and say, have this letter from your boss that says I can bring you Mac and cheese. And huh. so did that for five weeks. You know, Target came back and said, thank you. You know, you did really well. Sales were great. Well, let's reconnect later in the year. So at this point, I'm still chugging along. I'm adding accounts. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to expand a bit. I'm in New York now. I'm in Whole Foods local whole, you know, only about 20 to 30 whole foods, but, you know, I'm starting to gain some traction and December of 2020 target comes back and says, you know, we like what you're doing. We want to officially bring you in for 2021. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. The pandemic ended up uh, being good for certain types of businesses and, and, you know, obviously bad for other types. Yeah. One of the opportunities in CPG that I do continue to hear about is, is exactly what happened to you is that, you know, places like targets, their supply chain completely messed up. You know, they have yeah. empty shelves and it's interesting. We're speaking in 2021, December, and you still see you know, some empty shelves when you go into some of these stores, right? Yeah, um, it's really and bad. I, yeah, and I see that as, you know, if you're paying attention as an entrepreneur, I think that's a real opportunity, right? To do, you know, something similar to what you did. Whereas yeah. some of these retailers that wouldn't have necessarily looked at you before are kind of in a spot where, hey, I've got empty shelves, you know, is there somebody local that I can put in there? Um, yeah, exactly right. Is that how you saw it? Did you recognize that opportunity pretty early on when the, when they started talking to you? So, you know, at at that point, I think I wasn't looking at it as, I mean, you know, what happened with them bringing me in for a five-week period, you know, that was the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, when they gave me the green light, I was just, I was, you know, I was just happy to be there, right? <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this is kind of happening. But I truly felt like it was the opportunity that I needed to expand the business that I've been trying to expand for the past six years. Hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. Well, catch us up uh, to today. You know, you know, how are things going now? And then, you know, into the future, what is there anything, you know, coming up in the next six months to a year that you're pretty excited about? Yeah. So after so Target was May, we launched and, you know, and it was it was the most mac and cheese I've ever made. And it changed the entire, out, you know, the, everything. So I ended up bringing in a team of like six people to help me out. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, I've got a factoring company and it just, it really changed how I, and, and also I'm talking to investors at this point. It's like, everything is different. 
and it, it's almost like I feel like I grew up a little bit. And, right. uh, you know, and, and that started this whole process of, okay, now I need to focus on raising money because I just saw how much I had to spend to launch and target. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to continue to expand, I have to spend this amount on marketing and all this stuff. So it changed my mindset a bit in terms of how I'm going to scale up and how I'm going to manage a production team. And, you know, I, and I'm still working full time. And so I'm becoming sort of insane in terms of like, you know, I'm working from like 6am until 10 at night every day and weekends all work too. And I feel like I'm starting to, I'm making mistakes along the way because I can't focus on eight miles. So between May and October, it was this constant, it's, it's a repeat of 2015 or I'm sorry, 2017, where I'm like, there's so much I need to do, but I don't have the time to do it, mm-hmm. but I need the money personal to live. So what do I do? And then October hit, I had a meeting with actually Giant and they expressed interest in bringing us in. I had, I was having issues with my production staff where because I wasn't there, there was a lot of mistakes made. And I, I, I told myself, you know, as much as it sucked to quit and then not do well, I got to do it again. Because right. now I have so much more knowledge, just so much more potential. I got to give it all I got. And so I actually quit my engineering job again. That was late October, early, mid-October. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, decided that this is the time that I need to scale and really grow the business how I see fit. Oh, awesome. And then it sounds like you're in Target in the Northeast. You're also yep. in Whole Foods, other stores. Like, you know, let's just say someone listening here wants to try your mac and cheese. How do they find it and where do they go? Yep. So on our website, actually, there's a store finder app. You plug in your address and it'll tell you the closest store that carries it. You can, I mean, we're throughout up between Virginia up to Connecticut. We're in, and then we're in a couple spots in Ohio as well. But, you know, at this point, the plan is to continue distribution and actually bring out a couple of new products as well. Okay, cool. Is, that, is there anything you could tell us about that, that you're working on? Yeah. So actually in the next couple of weeks, hopefully we'll start seeing on shelves. Um, it's a family size mac and cheese. The one that I currently have on the market is an eight ounce portion. So for an individual, but you know, a lot of our customers are saying, Hey, we love the product, but I've got a family of four. I'd rather not buy four of these. I, I would much rather buy one, which makes mm-hmm. sense. And so we're actually, yeah, so we're, we're coming out with a, a 32 ounce pack size. And you have a bunch of different, different, I guess, flavors. What's the, you know, what's the um, best selling and which one do you like best? So it's, it depends on who you ask. So we've got three flavors. We've got a home style, a buffalo, and a barbecue. I mean, home style is more traditional. And so a lot of folks picked it up, especially if they're giving it to their kids. But for folks like myself who want a little something extra, uh, the buffalo and barbecue is close. I'm a huge fan of the barbecue, but I've also heard the buffalo is a lot of people's favorites. Got it. And are you still selling the, the barbecue sauces? You know, are you doing that at all anymore? Barely. That's something that I just do a couple local stores here and there. And I really make it just because we use it within our mac and cheese. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, look, it's been good hearing your journey. I think, you know, you're somebody to look out for. And and I just think it's, you know, uh, you're going to have a a ton of success going forward. And uh, I'm happy for you. It sounds you know, I like how real you are about it, Thomas, about the grind and the ups and downs, but you, you stuck with it and, and now you're starting to see some of the fruits. Um, before we go into the, the quick fire round, you just got four questions for you. 
what what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs you know that are currently uh, in the grind doing what you're doing maybe they're midway through the journey that you just described for us you know what could you tell them i would say focus on your mental space i think a lot of people that don't do this don't realize how much of a mental toll it does take on you it's almost and I, and this is actually something i've been focusing on recently because you got to imagine especially in the beginning you're doing something that doesn't pay you but you're working a lot like imagine I made a quote one time and I said, imagine you're working hard, you're killing yourself at a, you're at a job where you get paid, right? You can complain about your boss. You know, you can uh, ask for a raise, all that stuff. If, you, if, if you're your own boss, you have no one to complain to and you're doing it to yourself. Right. So it may, it's a whole different feeling. Like when you, like you might work a 14, 15 hour day, come home exhausted without a paycheck. And you're really, you're only operating on faith and hope. And if yeah. you're doing it for a long time, it does, it, weigh, it weighs you down. So recently I try to incorporate things that, you know, kind of take me out of that space. So for instance, I like, I love to work out. It's like my getaway kind of, and I tell entrepreneurs, you know, find something that you can do that's not work-related that you can escape from because it'll really help you out. And then also too, no matter how much you research, no matter how much you Google or talk to people, you're going to make mistakes. Just, you know, just know how to bounce back from those mistakes. That's what's most important. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So quick fire round, just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's one tool or resource that has helped you the most in your current career? <laughs> Excel. I'm a numbers guy. So <laughs> I, you know, an engineer by trade. So I live in Excel. What is uh, one book uh, that you could recommend to the audience? Oh, I think I told you that I am, I love motivational books. So one of the, actually one of the first books that I read before I started the company was called Power of Broke. It's by Damon John. Great. What is one piece of advice that you would give your 21 year old self? Oh man, that's it. That's a hard one. I would tell him, be firm in your brand and what it means and why you're doing it and start talking to investors early on. And who is uh, somebody um, in your field of work, you know, so maybe it's another entrepreneur or, you know, somebody they look that you look up to that you'd love to take to lunch. You know what I, you know what I would actually like to do? It's not an individual, but it's a collective, but I'm, I would love to get together with a room of folks that are in my space, kind of in my same growth path. And just have a, a chat or a Q&A, right? We learn a lot from each other. Uh, I've, done, I've done similar things in different organizations. I think you learn the most from people that are going through what you're going through. Cool, cool. Good answer. All right. Well, that, that's it. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. I think that this is just a jam-packed um, interview. And like we said uh, before we started recording, you know, me and you could talk for hours. And so um, <laughs> we have to wrap it up at some point, but I appreciate you telling us um, your story, your journey, and, and just being so open with us. No, for sure, Ken. You know, this, this, things like this, it's always a pleasure. I love doing it. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Miles. All right, thank you. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle, and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. 
make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.